so, so listen, we've obviously we're doing things a little bit differently, but we're glad that those of you that could could show up. And for those of you that are that are online, we're glad uh, that you can watch us there on live stream. I want you to know uh, if for some reason you need to get up during the service, we've got guys that can open the door for you here and and, and you can use the restroom or whatever and. Uh, but if you need to, uh, if you need to for any reason, if your children were to get too restless or you just need to, to take a minute, we've got an overflow room over in the gym and also in the fellowship hall. And there's some activities that Jessica Bray has set up for your children if you want them. And the, there's some tables uh, set apart there. And, and the live stream is on a TV over there. So you can, you can watch it there if for some reason you need to leave. But I, I, don't, I don't imagine you'd do such a thing. I'd say you're tired of looking at it on a screen. I don't know. Uh, but... Uh, but either way, God bless you all. Thank you for, for, for being here. You know, I want to I say something. You know, obviously, like we've been, we've been uh, 10 weeks or 11 weeks now online and just doing things differently. And we, somebody said, you know, well, you guys started out and I couldn't even see your eyes on the first video. Well, we, we did a lot of trial and error. This, this caused us to grow. I don't know about you, but it caused us as a church to grow in some different ways that honestly we would not have grown uh, if we hadn't, hadn't done it. And you'd be amazed at some of the people that we have reached, people in Indiana, people throughout the state. Uh, there's even people here this morning that come from a, from a different place and they started watching us, you know, and, and listening online. So, so uh, we're, we're grateful for that. We're grateful for that opportunity. Uh, I want to thank specifically, man, uh, over these uh, 10 weeks, are you not grateful for like our worship team and how well they did and serving and continuing to provide online stuff? And, and uh, I got to give a, a special shout out like to our media team, our worship team, Jeremy Baker back there and, and Brennan Jackson, man, those guys have done, you can't imagine the hours they've put in uh, just, just providing that stuff and of course, always, Sheb and Brian, they're, they're always uh, fixing stuff in the building, so we always got to give a shout-out to those guys for all the help. But, you know, we're happy to be back, but um, also there are, there are certain things that we need to, that I want to mention, that I want to say. Um, and, and specifically, it's, 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 a, it's a challenge, but many of you know, some of you don't know him, some of you did, but Rick Clendenin was one of our overseers. He was a spiritual father. Uh, to, to Donald Sims, and really he was, he was more or less a dad to Donald Sims, and, and Rick, Rick passed away this week, and, and they, they had his funeral um, just a couple of days ago, and, but I just wanted to take a minute to honor him. I wanted to take a minute just to honor Donald. Uh, Rick was supposed to be here April the 26th, and we were going to transition and, and, and have a transition service, and Rick was going to preach that service. And then when all this stuff happened, he already had health issues, and of course we had to cancel the service regardless, so, so we didn't get to do that uh, formally. And, and then he ended, up, he ended up passing away. But I just want to honor Rick because, man, here, here's the truth about Rick. I, I met him when I first came to this church. Right before I came to this church, I went with Donald. Uh, to a conference in Western Kentucky, a CTMF conference. And the first time I met Rick, you know, a lot of times when you get around big wig preachers, like they just sort of walk past you, like they don't even, they don't acknowledge you, you know what I'm saying? But this guy, first time I'd ever met him, I didn't even know who he was. He, he, set, he, put, he drags a chair out and says, sit down right there, son. And he, and he puts another chair out. Hundreds of people in the room, he singles me out and he sits down and he talks to me for probably 45 minutes and he just starts pouring into me and telling me what he sees God doing in my life and the expectations that, that he has for me and just, just starts pouring into me. And I'm sitting there honestly thinking, man, this guy's a little bit weird. Like, like he, I never like anybody that I first meet this much. 
And, but the, the, the thing about Rick was he was an amazing teacher. He was an amazing leader. I mean, he planted churches throughout the world and, and he, he, he did. But it wasn't so much what he did as how he did it. And he loved people more than anybody I'd ever seen. I didn't, I never could figure out how he had a capacity for so many people. And my prayer has been, I was talking to Donald on the phone, my prayer has been, Lord, would you allow us to receive a measure of that mantle that, that's coming off of Rick where we have a capacity to love people the way that he cares for them, the way that he loves them. That's, that's been my prayer uh, during this season. But we want to honor Rick. We want to to honor uh, Donald. You know, there's something, as, as I was preparing, I want to preach a sermon to you this morning just called Calling. And uh, I feel like my wife and I have been discussing what I'm about to preach to you over the next couple, over the past month or so. And, and we've discussed this in, in, in various ways, but I want to speak to you about calling. And here's, here's one thing that Rick said I wanted to read you. He, he sent us this uh, at the beginning of the year in 2020. And he, sa he said this, he, he said, I've got a, a word for 2020. He said, I feel like the Lord has spoken to me that this will be a year of completion. I see in my spirit as if it were loose ends or ribbons that are being tied into a bow. Things that have tarried sometimes for years or even decades will suddenly connect and make sense. I also believe that it will open a doorway to a new beginning. Or as I hear it in my spirit, an opportunity to advance what he has called us to do. I feel like it will be a year of generational thrust or passing of a baton to the Joshua generation. The scripture God keeps bringing into my spirit is Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. This upcoming year will be like a woman having a child. The birth of what God is going to bring forth will make us forget the labor pains of the past. Now, obviously, you can hear that word. You can say, well, you know, but all the, how come nobody's talked about this crazy stuff that's going on? And in some ways, I think all this crazy stuff that's going on can be a distraction to what God is doing in the Spirit. If you're not paying careful attention to what God is doing in the Spirit, then you may be distracted with all that's going on in the world around you. And it's not that we shouldn't pay attention to those things or we, or we should ignore those things. But at the end of the day, God is always speaking to His people. And He has a better word than what the news is currently telling us. He has a better word than what doctors are currently telling us. And I believe that, that Rick was speaking into what he saw happening in the church. And, and what's so funny about this is I, I remembered this word and I asked Donald to send it to me because about two or three years ago. Now, obviously, Andrea wouldn't consider herself a prophet, and she never goes around saying the Lord said this or the Lord said that. But about two years ago, she started saying, and she wrote it down, and we said it. We were saying it probably two or three years ago, and we'd say it over and over again. But for whatever reason, she, she kept saying, I feel like May 2020 is going to be a season of completion for us. And Rick ended up saying this in his word, but, I, but and I got to, and, and here's the thing, there's so many things in our lives personally that we have been waiting on, that have been tarrying, and all of a sudden, in a moment of time, just this month, certain things seem to be tying together. Certain things seem to be making sense. Certain things seem to be coming to a completion, and I believe that there is a transition, just like Rick was talking about, where God is making a move. I mean, Rick Clendenin passed away the same day that Ravi Zacharias passed away, and I just felt like there was a, it was like the Lord was speaking and saying, you know what, there's a passing of the baton right here, truly, just like what Rick said, that there's a generation that's coming up that need to understand that, listen, God is calling you into something. 
It's, it's our time. If you've, if, you've, if you've been in ministry for a while, it's time for God. You allow, allow God to increase that in your life and step to the next phase and to the next level. If you've not been in ministry, if you've not responded to the call of God, now is the time to respond to the call of God. And if you've been backtracked and you've, and you've known for years that you've been called to, by God to do something specific, now is the time that God is saying, look, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. You can get back on track in this season and still fulfill the calling that is upon your life and I believe now is that time now is that season that men and women boys and girls they got to rise up and say Lord I'm ready to step into what you have for me now I want to start here in Romans chapter 1 verses 1 through 7 notice what Paul says right here he's opening this letter to the Romans and he says Paul a bond servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Now that word called there is, is, in, is just in that introduction three times. And anything that we see in scripture is not there just for some meaningless purpose. It has a meaning. The word called in the Greek is kletos. That's my rap name, if you didn't know. <laughs> kletos. But... <laughs> In the Greek, it's kletos, but it means called, invited, summoned by God to an office or to salvation. The call of God, listen, is a unique and a powerful process. And anybody who's ever been called by God, you have feel, felt that draw. Uh, we were talking with a couple of guys last night just talking about the call of God and how the Spirit of God begins to draw us into salvation and how you, how you feel Him working in your heart because the truth is that none of us can come to God unless He does draw us by His Spirit. And He begins to call our hearts. He begins to draw us because He wants us to receive this gift of salvation, this invitation. And we, we yield to that calling for salvation. But see, it doesn't stop there because then God calls us and He says, I want to separate you. I'm, I'm calling you to be a saint, Paul said. He was called to be an apostle, but he says, you're called to be saints. Saints are separated ones. Saints are holy ones. Saints are ones that shine as light in the midst of darkness. Saints are ones that are pursuing holiness. They're pursuing purity in their lives, and they are not like this world because the power of God is at work in them. There's a calling in your life for that, but it doesn't stop there either because God is calling each of us individually and corporately into the body of Christ to fulfill the ministry as individuals that he's called us to and as a body of Christ as a church we have a specific calling and our calling is unique it's not like everybody else's calling but see there this calling is a unique process and in Romans Paul is talking about this and, he, and, he's, and he's, he's discussing who he is now now, Paul, he was a Pharisee in the beginning, and he had, a, he, had a, he had a very good education. He was raised up by a dude named Gamaliel and taught all sorts of different languages. He would have known four different languages. He knew all kinds of things. But when God called him, everything changed. Matter of fact, Paul was persecuting the church. He was coming against the church, against the body of Christ. And all of a sudden, on the road to Damascus to deliver letters so that more of the church could be persecuted, all of a sudden, Jesus Christ appears in a bright cloud of glory 
glory over his head as he's, as he's riding. He falls off of his horse and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, and he says Lord, Lord, I, what, I don't know. And I don't know what's going on. And it freaks him out, but he's knocked off of his horse. He's blinded by this situation, and he's sent to a man named Ananias who lays hands on him. And that moment, the scales fell from his eyes. He was filled with the Spirit, the, the Scripture says, and immediately he began to preach the gospel. Immediately he understood this call that was upon his life. But see, this calling developed in him because he began to understand that his calling was to the Gentiles. He was called as an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, and he could not get away from that calling. It wasn't something that was easy for him. This man was shipwrecked three times. He was beaten with rods. They whipped him with cords. They did all kinds of things to try to get him to shut his mouth. But the calling was stronger than the forces of evil and the power of this world around him. The calling of God is stronger than this world. What God has called us to do overrides those things in our lives when we sense that call, when we respond to that call that is on our lives. Now, here's, here's one of the things that I wanted to note, because I think this mentality has to be birthed in our hearts before we really step into the call that God has. us. Paul opens before he even says he's called. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. The Greek word there is doulos, and it, 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 means, it means a slave, literally. But it's a particular meaning because Paul would have known a slave or a bondservant to be what it was uh, described to be in Exodus 21 or Deuteronomy 15. Now, the Jews, they had slaves. But they had, and I'm not, obviously I'm not condoning that. I don't believe that we should condone that. But the point is the Jews had slaves. And here's the, but here's the way that they functioned in slavery. For whatever reason, a person would be sold into slavery out of debt or out of necessity. Maybe their entire family would be sold to a man. And it, but here was the law on, that, on a bond servant. It was six years, the, the master had to release that slave after six years and give him the opportunity to go free, free of charge. That was the law in Jewish law. You can read it in Exodus 21. But it says, if that bondservant, if that slave says, I love my master, I do not want to depart from my master, then his master shall take an awl and nail his ear to the door. It was almost like a proof or a love test. And from that day on, that bondservant would say, I'm forever committed to my master and this is the mark that I am his bondservant and I'll always be with him. It was a test of love. Paul was saying, look, I'm not my own anymore. All of, everything in my life has now been given. I am under the hand of my master. I am completely at his disposal. At his disposal. And see what happens is there's a shift because in the beginning a slave serves out of obligation. He serves out of fear of his master. But there's a point where he grows to know his master and now no matter how difficult the calling may be he says I love my master and I don't want to go even if I could. You switch from a bond slave to a love slave and then all of a sudden the calling is no longer a burden. The calling is readily embraced because you love the one who has given you this calling no matter how difficult it may be. Now, let me give you a few points. Number one, I want you to understand about your calling is that your calling is not for you. Your calling is not for you. And this is difficult for us in America because we, we actually treat God as if he's supposed to be our magic genie a lot of times. And we pray into what we would like our calling to be. God, I would like this gift. 
God, I would like to be able to do that. God, would you bless me to do this? And I'm not saying that in some, in some ways we can't ask God for those things, but I'm saying there's a point when you got to understand that God has called you to something and it is not for your self-gratification or to exalt you or to make you richer or to make you cooler or to make you better. At the end of the day, your calling is for other people and it is so other people can experience the blessing of God and you can bring them into the kingdom and into the freedom that Christ gives. Your calling is not for you. It's for others. Secondly, we don't choose our callings. Right? And that kind of goes in with the first one. But if I had my druthers, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I might pick something different. If I had my, there's been opportunities that have come up in my life and I'd be like, boys, I would like to do that. And then I've had to turn it down. Why? Because I'm not called to it. You've even, oftentimes you've got to ask yourself, am I called to this church? Is this where I'm called to serve? Because we don't just go places because, because we, we, we dislike somebody that goes there or, or, or we don't feel comfortable in the position that we're in or we don't feel like doors are opening up for us where we're at. No, at the end of the day, it may feel bad, it may be difficult, it may be challenging, but you need to be where God has called you to be. You need to ask God, God, where are you calling me to be? What, what place do I need to be? Because listen, sometimes God's going to call you to places and it's not going to be easy. Doors are not seemingly just going to open up uh, as easy as possible. And if you go around overriding God's call, trying to kick doors in, you're going to get off track. And so you're calling. You don't get to choose it. And many people struggle because they end up pursuing calling instead of pursuing God. And let me, let me say it like this. It's really not so much at the end of the day that you've got to figure out what you're called to do. If you set your eyes upon Jesus and you seek the face of God, your calling will be birthed in you. Never in my life was it ever a desire growing up, ever, okay? There was not one day in my young life that I thought, boys, I'd like to be a pastor, and I'd like to get up to people and in front of people and speak and preach the Bible. Not one time did I ever feel that way. It was never in my heart. But when God called me, even when he called me, there was an, an extreme fear that came over my life. And even to this day, I still get fearful about what God is calling me into and dealing with me about. But see... It, it was birthed in me, not because I wanted to do something for God. It was birthed in me because I wanted God, and I pursued God, and the calling was birthed. But y'all know the story of Jonah, right? Here's what it says in the book of Jonah, in, in, in just the opening. Because Jonah was called, it says in verse 1, chapter 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. In other words, he's saying, Look, Jonah... This, this place is so wicked that it's actually coming up and I'm smelling it. That's what the Hebrew uh, signifies, that he is, he's smelling this wickedness. It's rising up into his face. And it says, but Jonah hears the word. He experiences the word of the Lord. He feels God's heart for what wants to happen. And he, he senses that call. But Jonah instead arose to flee to Tarshish. Notice what it says, from the presence of the Lord. And notice this, he went down to Joppa, and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. There's a price to be paid when you move away. And he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Notice two times. When he is fleeing the calling of God, what is he fleeing? He is fleeing the presence of the Lord. He's fleeing the presence of the Lord. 
I'm telling you, so many of us, we're not, we, we, we miss hearing what God is saying to us in an hour. And, and it's because we, we, we miss seeking the Lord. We miss getting into His presence, opening His Word, spending some time in prayer. Because the next point is that your calling is found in God's presence. What that means is there's a, there's a calling somewhere down on, on the inside of every single one of us. God, God is dealing with us. If the Spirit of God lives in you, He has called you to something. You have to understand that. And if He's called you to something, He has already de deposited it into you through your natural gifts and abilities. But more than that, beyond your natural gifts and abilities, in your weaknesses, the Holy Spirit is activating something in you, but it lays dormant in us a lot of times. And the calling of God is going to begin to rise to the surface when you're willing to enter into the presence of God and spend time there. When you're willing to devote your life to God. But see, Jonah knows this. He gets into the presence. Of, like, I imagine Jonah being like this. Lord, I'm ready for you to use me, buddy. I'm seeking you. I'm praying. I'm fasting. I got my word open. And then all of a sudden, the call comes. Nah, that ain't, that ain't what I expected, though. I mean, I came into the presence because I thought you was going to give me what I wanted. Like, like I thought you was going you know, to call me to an international ministry where I could wear a white coat and knock people out and, just like, and make millions. Like, I thought you were going to call me into something that would be easier and better. But you're sending me to a place where people hate me, where they hate you, God, where they have murdered people. They don't deserve your mercy. They don't deserve your grace. And Jonah says, I ain't going down there. And at the end, if you read the book, you begin to understand that Jonah in the end says, God, the reason I didn't want to go down there is because... Because I knew as soon as I said 40 days and y'all are going to be overthrown that you were a merciful God and they would repent and then you wouldn't even bring judgment on them. You wouldn't even destroy them after that. He said, forget that. I'm getting out of the presence of God. I don't want to deal with the conviction. I don't want to deal with that call anymore. So he tried to go as far away from the presence of God as he could. But as you know, if you read the story, you can't go. If you flee, it's just going to, you, you do not want to move away from the presence of God in your life. And I know sometimes it's very, it's very difficult. And here's the thing. Many people will worship comfort rather than worship God. And so many of us, when we're called by God, we choose comfort over the calling of God. And I'm going to tell you something. The call's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be different. And we're going to choose oftentimes to fear man rather than God. And we're going to move away from his calling, but that's not what God would have us to do in our lives. See, the calling of God is not always comfortable, but it's rewarding and it is the reason you exist. And if you read throughout Scripture, now here's the good news though. Because if you say, well, I struggle with that a little bit, guess what? If you read throughout Scripture, when God called men and women, most of the time, they struggled with their calling. They did not just readily accept it and say, all right, Lord, I hear that. I'm doing it. Let's go. They weren't readily obedient out of the gate. They struggled with their calling. Even when I think about Moses, when, you, when we read about Moses, Moses was the primary figure in Jewish history and Old Testament theology. I mean, they, 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 they distinguished it from, like even in the New Testament, from, the book of, from Moses and, in, and into the New Testament, essentially. That Moses was this guy who, who he instituted the law. He instituted the Old Covenant. He was their leader. And when I think about him, I think about an amazing man of God that followed God, that went through an immense amount of difficulty leading three million people out of Egypt. But see, number four, I want you to understand, and, and Moses almost did this, but too many abort their calling because of fear. 
And that's very simple, but it happens so often. Too many abort their calling because of fear. See, Moses had an encounter with the presence of God at the burning bush. He answered God and said, God, here I am. But then God began to speak to him about what he was going to do. He said, look, I know you're 80 years old, Moses, but I made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to your forefathers, that I would bring your people out of Egypt and I would bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey and I would be faithful to fulfill my promises and their descendants would be like the sand on the seashore, like the stars are in the heavens. And I'm going to fulfill my promise, but I'm sending you back in there with just a staff and you're going to say, Pharaoh, let my people go. And immediately, Moses begins to react and he makes five excuses to argue why he could not do what God was calling him to do. In Exodus uh, chapter 3 verse 11 it says, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? In other words, this is an excuse a lot of people make, is I'm just not good enough, Lord. I'm just not good enough. I'm not equipped enough. I don't have it together. Who am I? How are you going to come in here and call me, Lord? Do you actually know me? You know what I've been through? You know the things I've said? You know the things I've done? Do you know that I wake up and I don't even have you on my mind most days, Lord? Like I got another agenda going on. Who are you that you're going to come in here and call me with all of my mess? And God responds to him by saying, look, it's not about who you are. It's about who I can equip you to be. I want you to be my vessel. I want you to be available. It's not about your perfection. It's about the one living inside of you and his perfection. He said, it's not about who you are or whether you're good enough. It's about the fact that I am with you. I'm going to be with you. What I've called you to do, never think you're doing it alone. I'm going to be with you doing it. But see then, it says in 1 Corinthians, let me read this scripture to you in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. It says, brothers and sisters, consider who you were when God called you to salvation. Consider who you were when God called you to salvation. Not many of you were wise scholars by human standards. When the Lord called me to preach, some people think, man, Clay, he he got a lot of knowledge. When the Lord called me to preach, I was one of the dumbest human beings on the planet. No doubt about it. I barely knew scripture. You know what I'm saying? I had an NIV and I'd read like 32 verses or something like that. I mean, it was, it was not good. But when he called me to do it, I, I was not ready in a sense in my own mind. And he says, not, not many of you were were wise scholars by human standards, nor were many of you in positions of power. Not many of you were considered the elite when you answered God's call, but God chose those whom the world considers foolish to shame those who think they are wise. And God chose the puny and powerless to shame the high and mighty. He chose the lowly, the laughable in the world's eyes, nobodies, so that he would shame the somebodies. For he chose what is regarded as insignificant in order to supersede what is regarded as prominent so that there would be no place for prideful boasting in God's presence. God, Moses says, who am I? God's saying, you're just who I need. You're just who I need to get glory out of. So that the world can look on it and say there was nobody, they were nothing. They didn't have the ability, they weren't equipped. But there was something that came out of them that was more than them, that gave life, that shined light, and it changed the world because God was with them in that moment. But Moses says, that's not enough, Lord. So Moses says to God in 3.13, he says, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them then? In other words, and this is one that I hear a lot, I don't have the answers. 
how can I do what you're doing, Clay? You got all these biblical answers and, and, and stuff like that. I don't have those answers, so I'll just send them to you. At some point, you got to realize that everybody has to grow somewhere. If you don't step into it in order to develop yourself, you're never going to have what you need. But here's the other thing. God will give you the answers that you need when you need them. The gospel is not about having all the answers. You know enough to do ministry right now. If you know Jesus and you are saved, you have the knowledge that you need to bring ministry into somebody's life and bring the love of God into their life. Because I'm telling you, in our world right now, it, we, don't, we don't need to have all the answers. We just need to demonstrate love to people and show that love, show that goodness of God, show that kindness of God. When they ask you deep theological questions, you know what? It's okay to say, I'm not sure about that one. But I know God's good. And I know I can pray with you. And we can ask the Lord. And He can speak with us. And just that... Is enough. Answer, i got to be honest with you. Sometimes when you do provide answers, it's not good enough anyway. People come in, they'll be asking me deep theological questions. I'll, get, I'll have a handcrafted answer. And they're just like, I don't know about that. Answers is not where it's at. So it's not, it's not about that either. But see, God says, you'll tell them that I am that I am. I'm the one that has the answers and I will fulfill my promises because I'm faithful. Exodus 4.1, Moses says again, he goes to his third excuse. But suppose they won't believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So you, basically the, the excuse is, they won't believe me. If I go to these people, they're not going to receive me. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to me, even if I say this thing. But do you know, at the end of the day, what that's chalked up to is the fear of man. You fear more what people will think of you when you go and you, and you fulfill your calling then you fear what God will think of you when you disobey Him. And see, we're not called to worry about what, what people think. We're called to do what God has called us. You know, when God called Isaiah, when He called Jeremiah, basically He told them, hey guys, I've called you to do this, and it's probably not going to be successful. Like, you're going to preach to them, and they're still going to rebel. Matter of that, Isaiah, turns out they're going to saw you in half, bro. Bad, it's, it's pretty bad. Jeremiah, they're going to put you in stocks. They're not going to like you. And even with Jeremiah, the calling of God on his life was so strong. They were telling him to shut up. They were calling him a liar, a false prophet. And he said, man, I got tired of this. I got tired of speaking on behalf of the Lord and nobody listening. And he said, and I tried to shut my mouth to never speak it again. I said, Lord, I'm not going to do this. And he said, but your word was like a fire shut up in my bones. And I could not refrain from speaking because he had accepted the call of God on his life. And sometimes there's a moment when you say, I I want to quit. I don't want to do this anymore, Lord. It's not working out the way that I thought it was going to work out. It's not as successful as I thought it was going to be, but the call of God was like a fire shut up in your bones. And you said, God, I can't quit anyway. Give me the strength to press through. I want to fulfill what you've called me to do. Lord, do that in us. The fear of man is a snare. But whoever trusts the Lord, they're going to be safe. And man, we cannot be afraid of what man thinks or man's expectations. We have got to turn to the Lord and trust in Him. God says, Moses, I'm the one that's going to equip you and I'm going to use you supernaturally to bring about transformation in people's lives. But Moses says again in Exodus 4.10, He says, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. In other words, he's saying, boys, I'm a, I'm a terrible public speaker. How many of y'all said that one? I'm just, I just, I can't speak. He said the same thing. Turns out Moses actually gave some pretty good speeches on occasion. Like he, he said some pretty good words. But God says, Moses, who made man's mouth? 
You think I'm not able to give you the words? And there's something that transcends just being a good, skillful, skillful preacher. See, I, I couldn't even say that word right when I tried to say it right then. There's something beyond that. There's an anointing of the Spirit that sometimes you can stutter, but the power of God is there to penetrate people's hearts. Now, Exodus 4.13, he said, But, oh, my Lord, please, sin by the hand of whomever else you may sin. In other words, here he's just saying, Look, Lord, I'm not qualified, and truth be told, I just don't want to do it. How many of y'all ever been in that position? Like, like, I'm cool with just coming to church week after week, but, man, I don't want to do anything else beyond that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm fine with just coming to church. I, like, I even liked it better when we could stay in our pajamas, man, and just stay at the house. <laughs> Like I told them last night, we were getting ready for church. I was like, boys, I don't really want to go to church tomorrow. I really like getting up and just sitting on the recliner and watching myself. And this is good. Yeah. I ain't got to do nothing this morning. Then I woke up and all this pressure's on me. And I'm like, oh gosh, I got to figure stuff out. We got to work this thing out and make it happen. But see, we just don't want to do it. He's saying, Lord, just send somebody else, please. I mean, you got, look, you got 7 billion people out here. You trying to come to me? Trying to get me to do something? But see, He has called you. There's a calling upon your life and you do not want to do this. You do not want to resist His calling because it's the reason you were born. You want to step into His calling. You want to respond to that calling. And I like what He does here because actually at that point, God gets a little bit angry. It says He responds with righteous anger. And the Lord was a little bit hot. But He, he cooled His jets and he said, all right, Moses, you don't want to speak. You don't want to do that. You're still called. You better get over it. I'm going to send Aaron, your brother. He'll be your mouthpiece. In other words, he's saying, look, if you, feel, if you feel that bad, you feel like you're not going to be able to make it. And this is what the Lord has spoken to me recently. You feel like you're not going to be able to do it, Clay. Guess what? I'm going to surround you with people that are going to help you, that are going to encourage you, that are going to support you, that when you fail, when you're weak, when you can't fulfill that responsibility, I'm going to equip them to fulfill that responsibility because we are a body of Christ. We're not just one man or one person or two people. We are a body and we are designed to work together. And if one part is missing, the body is not functioning at, at full capacity and every one of us have got to step into this calling and I'm telling you when you know when you receive that calling and you know you're called by God you can stand up against any obstacle there have been so many times that I've wanted to quit I can't tell you how many times but at the end of the day when I got back down in prayer I couldn't quit why because the call remained the call remained and it was there but see number five your calling is unique you got to understand that your calling is unique. And what do I mean by that? Well, one thing I, I, I need you to understand is that the expectation of who people think you should be can paralyze you from becoming what God has called you to be. You know, some people expect you to sing one way or preach one way or teach one way or have services one way or do this. And the expectation and the pressure on you doing it like somebody, God does not need another echo or another imitation. He needs you, uniquely you. And that doesn't mean that you can't get better and you can't develop your skills and you can't develop your giftings. But when you develop your giftings, when you develop your skills, they still are uniquely you. You don't have to copy and imitate anybody else. God is saying your calling is unique and sometimes people will expect you to do things the way that they do them. In other words, like for example, the Bible says that God has called some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. And honestly, when you have people that are evangelists, man, they come in every Sunday morning and if they're an evangelist functioning in a pastor's calling, they're preaching everybody to the altar to get saved every Sunday morning. 
And, you want, and a teacher is sitting in the back thinking, my Lord, why won't they equip the saints? You know, and then when you got a teacher every Sunday morning up preaching, he's getting into Greek words and doing crazy stuff. And everybody's like, I don't even know what he's talking about. And he's trying to teach people on things. And somebody in the back is saying, he don't never preach to get people saved. And really the, the actual truth is they're functioning in different callings. It's not that they're against one another. They are called together to work together. We have teachers. We have pastors. Pastors feel this, this need to shepherd people, to take care of people, while prophets don't really want much to do with people except to tell them the truth and nothing but the truth and discern black from white and call you out all the time. You know what I'm saying? There's different callings, but guess what? They all make up the body of Christ. We all function uniquely. See, you can't just say, well, you know what, Donald, buddy, he just needs to stay. He just needs to stay in Manchester, take care of Manchester people. Now he's called to nations. He can't help that. It's in him, man. And it's in him because you hear him preach about it, son. He'll get up here and preach the Great Commission. Why? Because it's in him. It's his call. And you say, well, Clay, you're different than Donald. Of course I am. We got a different calling. But we function together, and the body of Christ needs all the callings. It needs all the callings. If we were all doing the same thing, man, we would be lopsided. But your calling is unique and you cannot compare your calling with someone else's. And right now you need to search your heart. Because here's the other thing. Sometimes we think small callings are nothing. It's like, well, if I can't sing in church or I can't preach, I can't really do nothing. No. No, this is a very small aspect of what God wants to do in the world. What we do in here on Sunday mornings is just but a, a, a pinch of what God wants to see take place in our world. He's called you to somebody. For, for many of you parents, He may just be calling you right now to focus on raising godly children. He may be calling some, some people to go to the jail and do jail ministry. He may be calling some people to just call people on the phone and encourage them to make gifts for people to do. I don't know what He's calling you to, but the, but the question is, God, what are you calling me to now? And no matter how small it begins... You are faithful with that small thing and He will begin to entrust you with the bigger as you move into those steps and what God is calling you to do. So the question is, are you obedient to what God is calling you to do? See, God may be calling you to do something totally different and people will say, well, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Why don't you do this? And sometimes, and here's the thing, the other thing I want you to understand is that, you know, the Bible says that in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. If we're making big decisions in life, it is very good, right, to get multiple counselors to say, here, here's what I'm thinking. I'm deciding on this. There, there was a big decision coming up in my life and it's still kind of coming up. And I went, I've been to multiple people. I've asked my overseers. I've asked friends. I've asked family. And, and what, what do I get out of, if I ask 10 people, all of them are different answers, some of them are like, no, brother, don't do that. Some of them are like, bless God, yeah, you better do that. It's like, oh, my Lord, what I do? Like, both of these people are men of God. Surely they have the answer. And the Lord's like, yeah, I gave them both different answers just to confuse you. No. No, he didn't. He's saying in the multitude of counselors, there's safety, but it's not about them. Give, when you go for counsel, you're not expecting them to give you the answer straight from God. What they're doing is giving you a word that will sharpen what God is saying to your heart. And you can know based on what they say, that does not quite set with what is in my heart and what the Spirit of God is telling me. And it refines what God is saying to you so that you can move into your calling. Amen. So the last thing, and I'm done. Somebody said, we're going to get out of here by 11.45. I said, by the grace of God. <laughs> right? The calling is a process. 
In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19 through 21, this is talking about Elijah and his calling, his ministry, his anointing is being placed upon Elisha. And it says, so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Now what in the world kind of sense does this make? Elijah was the premier prophet in the land during that time. Man, he had went to Mount Carmel. He had won a great victory over false worship of, of, of Baal. He had defeated the prophets of Baal, and he had brought restoration. He had returned the hearts of the children back to the fathers, and he had, he had he caused an awakening, so to speak, in, in the midst of great spiritual darkness. And his time is coming to an end. God's about to call him home. And he goes to Elisha, who is called to be his predecessor, called to walk in, the, in a double portion of the anointing that was upon Elijah. And Elijah comes to him, and he goes up to him, and he throws his mantle on him. He just takes his garment, and he throws it on him. And Elisha says, man, i got to go say goodbye to my, to my mom and dad and stuff like that. And when he goes, here's what you got to understand about Elisha. Elisha was a wealthy farmer. He had plows, he had oxen, he had all that stuff. He was wealthy, it was a good living, it was what he had known in life. He was set up. When he goes back, he kisses his mother and father, he burns his plows, he kills his cows, and I think it's probably because he knew, I don't want to be tempted to come back to this thing. I'm getting ready to enter the process of a calling that is greater than myself. And when I begin to experience the difficulties, I will be tempted to go back to my old way of life where it's comfortable, where I can do what's going to make me money, where I can do what's going to take care of my family, where I can do what will just put me in a place of rest, where I won't have to trust God all the time to fulfill promise after promise after promise and me not know where in the world I'm going. So he says, you know what, I'm just going to do away with that. I'm going to kill all my cows and feed the people, and I'm going to burn my plows so that there's nothing to come back to. And, and Elijah takes him, and Elijah begins to take him on this journey. If you read in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah begins to take him on this journey because there's a process in your calling. You've got to develop this thing. And Elijah, he would go to, from place to place, geographical location to geographical location. He goes to Gilgal, and he says, hey, 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 I'm about to go up to Bethel. Elisha, no pressure, man. Won't you just stay here while I go over to Bethel? And Elisha would say, as the Lord God lives and as you live, I will follow you wherever you go. Because he was focused on his calling. See, he was even, Elijah, Elijah was even giving him the opportunity. Sometimes God will, will just test you to see whether or not you're going to come. Because he will not force you into your calling. He's not going to coerce you. He will invite you. He will invite you. He will pull you. He will draw you. But at the end of the day, you got to yield to it and you got to begin to participate with God's calling. You got to begin to say, Yes, Lord, I'm willing. I'll lay it down. And Elisha says, No, as the Lord God lives, I'm going to go wherever you go. And he says, No, 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 just stay here. I got to go up to Jericho. He says, No, I'm following you wherever you go. And at each location, there were sons of the prophets, other men and women of God who could have received the same, the same type of anointing, in a sense. 
But they would just stand back and watch. And they would say, hey, Elisha, don't you know your master's going to be taken up from you today? And Elisha says, hey, boys, be silent. Be quiet. I'm staying focused on my calling. I'm not getting distracted by what's going on in the world around me, by what people's expectations are. I'm focused on my calling. I'm focused on my master. And finally, when they came to the last location, the Jordan, it's the, it typifies Christ and his church. Elisha ascends. And as he ascends, the mantle falls from heaven. The same way that when Jesus ascended, 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 the Holy Spirit came back down from heaven and that anointing, that calling upon our life to carry out the ministry of Christ was released. And Elisha goes over, he picks up the mantle and he says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he tests it out and he smites the waters. See, there is, there's a choice for you whether you're going to hold on to your, your own personal plows or you're going to lay those suckers down and you're going to pick up this new mantle that God's calling you to. And right now we're in a season as a church and as individuals where God is saying it's time for you to pick up that mantle. It's time for you to step into that calling and begin to ask God, God, what are you calling me to do? It may be a small thing. It may be just, he may be just be calling you to somebody. He may be calling you to begin to lead your family in a different way. But at some point you got to come to this place where God, what are you calling me to do? And for many of you, he may be just calling you to salvation. You may just feel that tug in your heart. You've never really surrendered to the Lord and, and His goodness and, and what He wants to do in your life. And He's saying, look, I need you to understand that I died for you for your sins too. And I don't want to just save you, but I want to change your life. I want to give you eternal life. I want you to have heaven when this thing is over, yes. But I want to change your life now so that you can step into your purpose as a human being. As while you're on the, while you're on the planet. So I'll tell you what, I want you to bow your head with me. Where you're at. Let's just, we're going to spend, we're going to spend a minute. They're going to come up and play a little bit. And as they're playing, I want us to just pray. We're not going to give an altar call. We're just going to stay at our seats and we're just going to pray for a moment. But I want you to ask yourself, Lord, and ask the Lord, God, will you show me what you're calling me to at this moment?